back, I will not be done with mine, and so we'll just kind of go back and forth and get you completely confused. By the time we're through, you'll be convinced that the whole kingdom of God is a mystery, and there's no way to figure it out. Hallelujah. Somebody get me Matthew 22, 15 to 46, Daniel. Somebody get, get Matthew 16, 13 to 16, Jeff. So uh, I want to begin a new study on the questions of Jesus. Many, many times we have heard someone say, or perhaps we have even said ourselves, when I see God, I've got some questions for him, right? And God isn't afraid of our questions. He has no problem with your questions. He does have a problem with our attitude. Uh, so you may want to tone the attitude down. But there are questions that we constantly ponder. Why, why did some loved one have to die? Why, uh, you know, why did this situation happen? How, how can God love sinners? Uh, uh, you know, can you explain the compatibility of free will and election? These are all kinds of things that, uh, that different people ponder and they, they want to know. They want God to give them answers to the questions. Uh, but, uh, it may never have dawned on many of us that God has some questions He wants to ask you. Matthew uh, 22, 15 to 46. And the Pharisees went and plotted how they might entangle Him in His talk. The Pharisees went and plotted how they could entangle Him. There's their motivation right there. Is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? This is an extremely loaded question. And they're trying to catch him out on this so that they either have something to accuse him with or he'll say something that will infuriate the crowds. But Jesus perceived their wickedness and said, Why do you test me, you hypocrite? Show me the tax money. And Jesus, in his best politically correct form, says, Why do you test me, you hypocrites? Okay. So they brought him with an area, and he said to them, Whose image and inscription is this? They said to him, Caesar's. And he said to them, Render therefore to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and to God the things that are God's. He shows them the coin and uh, says, Whose inscription is on the coin? Caesar's. Render to Caesar those things that are Caesar's, and render to God those things that are God's. So he dispatches the first group of, of uh, questioners, and along comes the second group. This is probably typical of Jesus' day. You know, every day he probably had to deal with this kind of nonsense, uh, uh, people that were uh, deliberately trying to expose him, trying to make him look like an idiot, trying to uh, uh, discredit him. 
And so now the Sadducees come and they say, uh, they don't, you know, they don't believe in the resurrection. And so they want to uh, make a point and uh, try to make the resurrection look absurd. And he says, you know, uh, the scriptures say uh, that if a, a, a woman's husband dies, then from there the next brother in line is supposed to take her and then the next brother. And so here's this woman and uh, uh, she worked her way through seven brothers. You know, if I'd have been brother five, I think I'd have bailed right about there. I said, you know what, lady, you're a black widow. I don't really think this is a good idea. You fend for yourself. But she made it through seven brothers, and uh, now, so now they think they've got him, you know. I'll tell you what, we've got him now. Whose wife will she be in heaven? She's married to seven brothers. This could lead to a real falling out in heaven. And so, uh, so this is their, their question to try to stumble Jesus. Okay, so he says, you really don't have a clue what you're talking about. Uh, uh, in heaven, there is no marriage. Uh, and then he goes on and traps them by uh, quoting scriptures to them, uh, indicating that there is, in fact, a resurrection because God is not the God of the dead but of the living. Go ahead. Okay, so he dispatches the Herodians, he dispatches the Sadducees, the Pharisees come, and uh, they're going to question him and uh, want to hear his answers. And so uh, there comes a lull in their questioning, and uh, it says, you know, they've drawn back. It, it seems to me as I read that, they ask him about the greatest commandment, he answers that flawlessly, and it seems to me that they huddle, and they say, okay, now what are we going to do from here? And right there, Jesus says, hey, you know, while all these questions are flying around, I got one for you. He says, and he quotes the psalmist, David, and says, how could God call someone Lord? He sa- and he questions the entire uh, dynamic of deity and uh, how the Messiah fits into this. And uh, he completely stumps them. He completely blows them out. They don't have a, a, an answer for him. They don't, they don't know how to respond to Jesus' question. And so the, the point that I want you to see here in this text uh, is that God uh, uh, has some questions for us that penetrate 
and go right to the bone. And we have all our questions, uh, but it's, it's never wise to play stump the chumps with God because he's always going to win. And so at, at some point, Jesus uh, stops the conversation and says, this has gone on long enough. I want to ask you a question. If you read the book of Job, it's a very similar pattern. You have Job trying to figure out all of the mysteries of, of the things that have happened in his life. And he goes through, I believe, about 40 chapters of that. And finally, God says, okay, you've spoken enough. Now I have some questions for you. And so God will turn the tables on us. We uh, have all our speculation. We have all our theology. We have all our theories. Uh, but God has some very penetrating uh, and some very critical questions uh, that he wants us to answer. And as we read through the scriptures, we find uh, Jesus asking uh, these questions. Uh, and the great overarching question of all is, will you have the right answer? Because the answer that you give to the questions we're going to be looking at are critical. They determine destiny. They determine eternity. They determine your outlook on life. They determine uh, uh, the way that you deal with each other, the way you deal with God, your relationship. All of these things uh, are addressed in the various questions uh, that Jesus asks. And so we're going to be looking uh, at these questions. If Jesus were to come and simply sit at your dinner table one evening, I don't doubt that some of the questions we're going to look at are some of the questions he would ask you. Because they are pertinent today, they are relevant today, they are critical uh, to the soul of man uh, from the day Jesus asked them to the very day that we live in. And so we're going to look at these questions. Some of them are going to be very uncomfortable. Some of them aren't. Some of them are challenging. Hopefully uh, they'll be enlightening. But we want, to, uh, we want to perhaps look at some of the key questions that Jesus asked those around him. And so the first of these uh, that we want to look at uh, is Matthew 16, 13 to 16. Who do you say that I am? first question Jesus asks is a setup for the second question. He's, he really doesn't care who, what, what everybody's saying. That, we've already seen that. Uh, when the Herodians came to Jesus, they say, we know you don't really care about what any man's opinion is. And so he's not really interested. He's setting them up. He wants to see uh, whether they've been able to get through the common conceptions of who Jesus is and see the reality. And so the, the primary question that Jesus asks here is, who do you say that I am? Vince Lombardi was a coach of the Green Bay Packers. And there came a point where the team was suffered a humiliating defeat at the hands of an underdog opponent. And so the next day at training, he came out on the field at the beginning of the training and he picked up a football and he held it out to his team and he said, gentlemen, this is a football. And what he was saying was, man, we got to get back to the basics. Something has been lost here. And so this question is that. It is the basic. It is the foundational question of all questions. If you don't get this one right, it doesn't matter how you score on the rest of the quiz. 
It doesn't matter what your uh, understanding is of scriptures if you don't have a correct understanding of who Jesus is. This is the paramount question that everyone must answer. And so we look at the world around us uh, and we see all of the insane answers that are generated by this question. Uh, we can go back a little and answer the question, who do men say that I am? You know, I, uh, I was... When I was starting to do this study and I was thinking about this question, I did a little web search just to look around to see, because the web is, uh, is huge on two areas, sex and religion. It's got more websites on those two issues than anything else. It's, these are the two captivating things in life for humanity, obviously. There's really not much else that's important in life. And so as you begin to peruse, you, I mean, there are websites and uh, uh, discussion groups about religion that just go on and on and on. And so I was just kind of cruising through, just uh, getting a handle. Do you know there's a whole group of people that believe Jesus is a Buddhist? And they believe that he, before he came into Israel, spent some time in India, and uh, he became a guru. And then he showed up in Israel. This is an insanity. But, but this is the kind of stuff that's out there. I mean, it, Jesus came, uh, he's an alien, uh, flying saucers, you name it, it's out there. Hollywood wades into this question time and again. I, I read the other day that Mel Gibson is going to make us a movie about Jesus now. I mean, who could be possibly more qualified to make a movie about Jesus than Mel Gibson? <laughs> Fine Catholic boy. And so... Uh, we had Scorsese do his movie, The Last Temptation of Christ, a little while ago, where basically he said Jesus was a pervert, just like everybody else. We, uh, a couple of years ago, Peter Jennings, another qualified theologian, uh, did a week-long mini-series on In Search of the Historic Jesus. And uh, uh, we, uh, we've seen this again and again. Back in 1979, there was a movie that circulated in the uh, uh, theaters uh, called In Search of the Historic Jesus. Uh, J. Dominique Crossan is a Catholic professor who wrote The Historical Jesus in 1991, a century ago. Albert Schweitzer uh, wrote a book called The Quest for the Historical Jesus. And he said Jesus was deceived about himself, and anyone who believes that he was divine is equally deceived. We have the Jesus Seminar that uh, every year gathers together and tears the Bible apart and says, uh, Jesus didn't really say this, and this isn't really true. And uh, they weighed in uh, on the question. They're, they're a group of self-appointed geniuses uh, who uh, can't find their butt with two hands in a mirror. And so... Uh, so here we have uh, uh, all of these different people that are engaged in this question. Who is Jesus? What does he really mean to us? What, what, what is Jesus all about? The cults have attempted to redefine Jesus. And this, by the way, is what defines a cult, is how they view Jesus Christ. Cults are not defined by commitment levels or speaking in tongues. That doesn't define a cult. We've, we've changed the definition of cult through the years, and now a cult is anybody that we don't like. So, so, so now we're a cult. But when I first became a Christian, it was very, very clear that a cult simply was someone who did not get the deity of Jesus Christ correctly, and out of that error flowed a whole river of error. And that is the capstone error of the cults, is they don't get Jesus. They don't know who he is. 
And so the Mormons tell us that Jesus is a completely separate God from the Father. He's his own God, and actually he was the brother of Lucifer, which is an interesting concept. And we are talking two polar brothers here, man. And so uh, uh, he uh, was not begotten by a virgin. He was begotten by sexual intercourse between God and Mary. And uh, this is the Mormon perception of Jesus Christ. The Jehovah Witnesses believe he is a perfect man. He's actually a lower and created deity. In their translation of uh, John chapter 1, for example, where it says, uh, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God, and the Word was with, uh, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Uh, in their translation, it says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was a God. And so it's a very interesting, because when you ask Jehovah's Witness then, Are you polytheistic? Do you believe in many gods? No, no, one God. Well, then how can Jesus be a God? That implies that he's one of many. And so uh, they, they're so confused, they, they don't even know what they believe. Moonies say that he was only a man, albeit he was sinless. He was just a man. He was born of Joseph and Mary. And uh, he was a good man. He was a, a sinless man, but he didn't finish his mission. His mission was to come and find the perfect wife, and he obviously couldn't find her. <laughs> Sorry, ladies. That's what the Moonies preach. I don't understand how there could be a single female convert to Mooneyism. I, from the very beginning, their theology is offensive. And so, uh, you know, sorry, ladies, he's got, he couldn't find the perfect. And so he had to go to the cross as punishment for not fulfilling his mission. So, so, so Jesus has been a very bad boy and God is punishing him. So, you know, it, it seems to me that the weirder your perception of Jesus gets... The, the happier people seem to be with it. It's just so bizarre. Children of God, Christian science, Islam, they all refuse to acknowledge the deity of Jesus Christ. To most today, he falls into the category of a great teacher, a prophet, a wise man, an enlightened guru, or a myth. That seems to be the largest body of uh, perception of who Jesus is. Very, very interesting discovery the other week, uh, a couple weeks ago, perhaps you saw it, where they found a, a grave inscription that said, uh, uh, James, son of Joseph, brother of Jesus. And the scholars who have examined it have said this seems to be authentic. There's no reason not to believe that it was uh, genuine, came from that time. And they said that the mention of Jesus' name is very, very unusual and would only happen if Jesus had notoriety. They will mention the Father to establish lineage, but they will never mention brothers and sisters unless the brother has great notoriety. And so uh, this is just another interesting little clue that Jesus is not a myth. Okay? So when you come to the question of who am I, you're not, you're not dealing with theology. You're dealing with reality here. You have to answer the question, who is the historic Jesus? But you've got to come up with the right answer 2,000 years later. You have to come up with the right answer. If you come up with the wrong answer, you're dead. It's all over for you. And so we have in our text Peter's response. You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus says, bingo. 
you got it right. And on that truth, everything depends. The whole church is built on that truth. The ongoing revelation, the ongoing reality of me depends on grasping that truth. You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Now, somebody get Isaiah 9, 6, and 7 for me. I'm going to give a whole bunch of scriptures here. I need everybody on board. Mike, uh, Isaiah 7, 14, Woody. Uh, Dennis, give me Matthew 1, 20 and 20, 22, 25. Uh, Rod, give me Mark 1, 23 and 24. Don, give me Mark 5, 6 to 8. Uh, Lucas, give me John 10, verses 30 and 36. Somebody give me John 8, uh, 58 to 59. Pete, John 14, 9. Joel, uh, uh, Suzette, give me John 5, 8. 18, uh, Matthew 1, 23, Adam, John 1, 1 to 3, Dennis, Rick, get me John 20, 28, I need Acts 20, 28, uh, Hoyt, Romans 9, 5, Aaron, Colossians 2, 9, I told you, I need you all, uh, Bill, Hunt, uh, this, this turning into a very Jewish congregation. The men speak, the women keep silent. Titus 2.13, we got Al. We got any women out there that are daring and want to break into the brave new world. Gloria, give me Hebrews 1.8. 1 Timothy 3.16. Uh, Sam. First uh, Timothy 6.15. Uh, Renee. And 1 John 5.20. Last one, somebody. There you go, Owen. So I'm going to count these number of scriptures when I get home to figure out exactly how many people I can rely on to give me scripture verses. So I'll never go beyond that. Okay. So, uh, so here's Peter's response. You are the Christ, the son, of, uh, the son of the living God. Now, you have to understand that you've got to get a picture of this in your mind. Here's Peter. Jesus has just asked this incredible question, and Peter blurts out, essentially, you're God. You're standing eyeball to eyeball with Jesus, and you're going, ah, you're God. You say, well, he didn't say that. He said, you're Christ, the Son of God. No, no, no. To the Jewish mindset, he is saying, you are God. He's appropriating for him the necessary titles to define what he's doing here. But he is saying, in essence, you're God. What a trip. Because he's not just, you know, he's not, <laughs> he's not guessing, trying to give the right answer, the, the answer Jesus is looking for. That's what we do in Sunday school with Pastor Mitchell. We're always afraid to give an answer because we don't know what he's after, so we're guessing. Uh, could it be? That's not what Peter is doing here. He, he speaks a revelation. You're God. You're God. You know, I don't know if I could have made that intellectual, spiritual leap and made that claim without all of the incredible scriptures that I have to reference off of. Simply to walk with Jesus and come to that conclusion is mind-boggling. And that's why Jesus says, you know what, you didn't figure that out. God showed you that. God told you that. You cheated. God helped. Okay? Here's this incredible statement by Peter. Listen 
to the reference point he has for this statement. Isaiah 9, 6 to 7. So we're dealing with a messianic nature. Unto us a child is born. Unto us a son. The son of God is given. His, uh, the government will be upon his shoulders and his name will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God. Don't lose that. Mighty God. Go ahead. Everlasting Father. Everlasting Father. Unto us a son is born. He is the Everlasting Father. Okay, and so here is uh, a capsule definition of the Jewish understanding of Messiah. This, this is, in short, what all of the Jewish teachings revealed about the Christ, the Son of God. That he would be God come in flesh with an arm of deliverance. He would sit down on the throne of David. He would establish his theocracy forever. He was God and nothing short of God. That was their understanding of the Messiah. This is why Jesus was such a hard pill to swallow for the Jews when he showed up. Because he didn't show up in glory with a flaming sword and and a crown and and, uh, ten thousands of ten thousands of angels. He showed up as a man and they didn't know how to deal with that. But Peter understood by revelation. He comes to the conclusion that, you know what, you're God. I don't think they put all the G's in there that they should have. You're God. You are the living God. Isaiah 7, 14. He will call his name Emmanuel, which literally means God with us. Compare that with Matthew 1, 20 to 25. So here is the uh, fulfillment of Isaiah's prophecy. Born of a virgin. The virgin birth is something that has been attacked by liberal theologians for years. The miraculous nature of this is just a little too much for their pinheaded intellectualism. And so they just can't can't come to grips that God could uh, supernaturally bring birth through a virgin. And so they've denied this. They fought against this. But the truth of the matter is the reason why they assault that is because they're trying to undermine the deity of Christ. Because if you can 
undermine the virgin birth, then you simply have a man. He's born just like the rest of us. And therefore, his death uh, has no uh, efficacy for us. It cannot have a redeeming value because he bore in himself uh, the sin nature, the Adamic nature that's passed from uh, generation to generation through the normal processes of birth and the spiritual reality of generations. And so, uh, since therefore his uh, redeeming uh, sacrifice has no value, then he's really not the Christ, he's not God, and we don't have to worry about him at all. We can just, uh, we can just dismiss him as a footnote of history. And this is what the theologians and uh, those who hate the thought that Jesus could possibly be God have uh, assaulted through the years the virgin birth. But we have here uh, this fulfillment of prophecy, Jesus born of a virgin, and his name is Emmanuel, God with us. They knew, and they know, that if in fact he was born of the Virgin Mary, he's God. You can't get away from that uh, reality, But the truth of the matter is, uh, if you want to dismiss the deity of Jesus Christ, you're going to have to do away with a lot more than just the virgin birth. Basically, you're going to have to throw the whole Bible out. Because the Bible again and again and again confirms uh, that Jesus Christ, the man of history, the man we all know existed. Okay, The truth of the matter is, you talk to anybody on the streets, the, the most uh, adamant, agnostic or atheist will not deny the existence of Jesus. You can't. He's a fact of history. Okay? And so uh, this Jesus that lived amongst us, the Bible declares, without a doubt, is the living God. So you come to church, we worship Jesus, and sometimes this whole thing can become so... Uh, academic. It can, be, it can some, become so cerebral, so mental... You know, it's, it's almost philosophic. Jesus, no. Jesus, a man that walked among us, was God in our midst. The supernatural God that created everything was in our midst. God. So you've got to get this right. You've got to get a grasp on exactly who Jesus is. There are people here. You, you're playing with your salvation. You're, you, know, you know, church and Jesus and, you know, it's all cool and I'm hip with that. But you're not grasping the incredible reality that God came to earth. You're not grasping the incredible reality that the words that Jesus spoke are the words of God to you. You can't just dismiss them. You can't just pick and choose them and do what you want. We're talking about God here, folks. Now, you want to go toe-to-toe with God? We're talking about God. And the Scriptures proclaim it beyond a doubt. The demons knew who He was. Mark 1, 20 through and 20 feet. And you figure that out. Yeah, 23 and 24. In their synagogue, a man with an unclean spirit, and he cried out, saying, Let us alone. What have we to do with thee, thou Jesus of Nazareth? Art thou come to destroy us? I know thee, who thou art, the Holy One of God. I know thee, who thou art, the Holy One of God. I know who you are. Have you come to destroy us? They knew full well that Jesus could just bing. And it'd be all over for them. They knew it. They knew exactly who they were dealing with. Mark 5, 6 to 8. But when he saw Jesus afar off, he ran and worshipped him. He cried with a loud voice and said, What have I to do with thee, Jesus, thou Son of the Most High God? What have I to do with thee, Jesus, thou Son of the Most High God? We're talking about the demoniac of the gatherings filled with a legion of angels. He comes and the Bible says he falls and worships Jesus. 
He worships him. That's something that only God uh, merits. And there's no demon on earth that will worship a man. But they fall at the feet of Jesus. They worship him and they say, what have you to do with us? Uh, you're the son of the most high God. Go ahead. I adjure thee by God, torment me not, for Jesus had said, come out of the man, thou unclean spirit. So here we have the voice of, of demons that have to recognize who he is. Uh, they know exactly who they're up against as soon as he shows up. Uh, Jesus said as much of himself that he was, in fact, the living God. John 10, 30 and 36. I and the Father are one. That's the first thing he says. I and the Father are one. Second thing he says uh, is, do you accuse me of blaspheming because I claim to be the Son of God? See, for the Jewish mind, they knew what it meant to claim to be the Son of God. That's blasphemy. You're claiming to be God. Okay? And so Jesus is, is taking upon himself this mantle. It's very clear that he has made that claim and they don't want to accept it. John 8, 58 and 59. Jesus said to them, Most truly I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. Jesus said, Before Abraham was, I am. Boom. And the whole room comes unglued. Go ahead. Before Abraham was, I am. You and I look at that and we go, uh, so he's claiming that he's really old. Uh, I don't get it. What's the big deal? But um, they know exactly what he's saying. I am the name Jehovah. I Before Abraham even thought I existed, I am. Uh, and he's, he's laying hold of that sacred title that they wouldn't even utter. They wouldn't even utter the name of Yahweh. They would spell it Y-H-W-H in their writings. They didn't want to name that incredibly holy name. And Jesus just puts it on like a suit coat. I am. Oh, dude. Well, no wonder they took up stones. And if he had not exercised miraculous power, he would have never gotten out of there alive. If he hadn't been God. If he hadn't been God, he never would have gotten out of there alive. Okay? Uh, John 14, 9. John, uh, Philip, you've been with me all this time and you still don't get it. How can you ask me to show you the Father when I'm telling you you're looking at him? You're looking at him. John 5.18. The Jews sought to kill him not only because he broke the Sabbath, but because he called himself the Son of God, making himself equal with God. So again, this just reinforces what I've been saying, that the Jewish mindset understood exactly what the statement, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God, meant. They, when you made that claim, you made yourself equal with God. They knew that the Messiah was God. And for Jesus to claim to be the Messiah was to make a claim that nobody in their right mind would make, unless they were, in fact, the living God. The Scriptures unanimously affirm the deity of Christ. 
Matthew 1.23. Virgin birth, God with us. John 1, 1 to 3. In the beginning was the Word, the Word was uh, with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by Him. And without Him, there was not anything made that was made. Okay? And so this is clear uh, proclamation, not only of his uh, eternal existence, but also his uh, hand of creation, that he was the creator. Without him, nothing was made that was made. The language of those three verses alone are so mystifying because they're all about Trinity. They're all about this, this uh, incredible dynamic. God in three persons, three persons in one God. Uh, it's, it, it's impossible for the rational mind to come to grips with this. But we take it by faith. We understand what God is saying, uh, that, uh, that God and the Son, Jesus, uh, the Word that came to earth, uh, was in fact God Almighty. John twenty twenty eight. Thomas answered him and said, this is after he stuck his hands in the wounds of Christ, he falls and says, my Lord and my God. Acts 20, 28. Okay. Uh, take heed to yourselves and shepherd. He's giving instructions to pastors in Ephesus uh, and he describes the church uh, as the church of God which he purchased with his own blood. God purchased the church with his own blood. God purchased the church with his own blood. Think it through. We are labeling Jesus Christ as the living God. We're putting uh, that singular monotheistic deity on Jesus Christ and saying that's who he is. Romans 9 5. Christ came in the flesh who is God. Who is God. Eternally blessed over everything. Uh, Colossians 2 9. Oh, come on. Somebody gave me Colossians 2.9. Somebody fell asleep. Steve? Uh, here we go. No, Bill fell asleep. He's awake now. <laughs> For in him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. Paul is saying to the Colossians that everything that pertains to God, all the fullness... This is extreme language. All the fullness, everything that pertains to God dwells in Christ. Okay? Uh, Titus 2.13. Looking for the blessed hope of His glorious returning, our great God and Savior. Uh, Hebrews 1.8.
To the Son, He says, O God. To the Son, He says, O God. First uh, Timothy 3.16. That's a great one, by the way, to use on Jehovah's Witnesses because they, 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 they missed that one. They, they, in their translation of their Bible, they, uh, you got to understand, Jehovah's Witnesses have their own Bible, and they say that it was created by, I believe it was a team of 28 scholars, if I remember correctly. They can't name any of these scholars or any of their qualifications uh, because they had none. And uh, when they uh, uh, were cross-examining Charles Taze Russell, the founder of Jehovah's Witnesses, uh, he claimed to have knowledge of Greek and Hebrew. He couldn't identify any of the letters of the alphabet. He, and the guy's a complete idiot. And so uh, the, the Jehovah's Witnesses have claimed that their, that their translation is true and accurate. And so most of the scriptures that allude to Christ's deity have been changed. But this one they missed somehow. There's, uh, they were sleeping and uh, they didn't wake up. And so Hebrews 1.8, just take a Jehovah Witness to Hebrews 1.8 and ask them to explain it in their Bible. And that, that, that always ends the conversation. And so uh, 1 Timothy 3.16. God was manifested in the flesh. Without controversy, it's a great mystery. We're not arguing it's a mystery. We're not arguing this is amazing. But God was manifest in the flesh. Go ahead. Okay, so we're very clearly talking about Jesus Christ. First uh, Timothy six fifteen. King of kings and Lord of lords, John 5.20. And we know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding. That we may know him that is true, and we are in him that is true, even in his Son Jesus Christ. This is the true God and eternal life. We know him, we are in him, we know him that is true. This is Jesus Christ, the true God. The true God. And so... We spent some time, the last study I did was uh, looking at the humanity of Christ and uh, the way he behaved himself as a man in the flesh and the earth so that we had an example to uh, imitate and to follow after. But the reality of the deity of Christ is the central truth of Christianity. It is the one foundational truth that all the other truth is built on. And this is the answer that Jesus is looking for when he says to you, Who do you say that I am? Who do you say that I am? So every one of us has to come to grips with that and then what that means to you. Because I, you know, I fear that many, many times, even as Bible-believing Christians, we're, we're, we're a little too fast and loose with our relationship with Jesus. We forget we're dealing with God in our day-to-day affairs. When we pick up his word, when we pray to him, when we deal with him, this isn't buddy Jesus. This isn't, uh, you know, just this uh, wonderful, wonderful lover of my soul. That's true, but this is God Almighty that we're trafficking with. Creator God. Let's open it. Gail.
made him ultimately cool. Yeah, so did I. Okay, so you have to you have to see the dynamic that she's talking about. This is way beyond that just that singular experience. God is a jealous God, the Bible says. The first and foremost commandment is, you, is I am the Lord your God. You will have no other gods. I'm not sharing this position with anyone. All right? So that's the first thing. If you don't get that right, Everything else is wrong. And so here's Gail. She has a genuine encounter with God, but her mind is filled with all kinds of false doctrine and spirits of error. And so God has to bring her to that defining issue before he can take her any further spiritually. Say, it's wonderful. You've been touched by God. You know his grace. But until you get this right, we can't progress. You can't know me unless you realize I'm it. I don't share the stage with Mahat Guru, Ruhu, Banana Rama Hama Hama Dama. I don't, I don't mess with these guys. I'm not one of an enlightened revelation. I'm not just one of a, a number of incarnations. I am God, singular. Get it right or go to hell. Okay, glory. Wait. Critical to your understanding now because now more than ever is the push of syncretism where Jesus fits with everything else. And you will witness to people on a daily basis now, and I never used to encounter this, but I, you can't hardly witness to anybody anymore where they haven't taken Jesus and lumped him together with other deities. And that is the current mindset of the generation that we're up against. We have to bring people to the realization, no, Jesus is God, period. And end of discussion. If you don't get that right, man, you, you're totally lost. Okay, Glory, go ahead.
Yeah, so Gloria had to dig into this. She had to research this. See, this is a very fundamental truth. What I'm saying, I mean, this is, uh, some of you out there going, well, duh, uh, can we get on to something interesting? Because we all know this. But, but this is so foundational, and it is such an intense revelation that when you start to dig into it for yourself or dive into this, you come away with the sense of God's glory and the sense of, man, we are up against something incredible. It takes everything that I'm involved in personally, and I agree with Gloria, that everything I'm involved in as I'm, as I'm thinking these issues through, it takes the whole thing out of the realm of the religious. We're not dealing with religion, man. We are dealing with an incredible revelation. Jeff. Which, which, which we all did before we were Christians. That was my biggest rub with Christianity is uh, you're so narrow-minded. There's many roads to God. So there's three different kinds of Jews. There's Orthodox, there's Liberal, and there's uh, Reformed. Okay? And uh, so you were probably talking to a Liberal Jew because they don't believe in anything. Uh, okay? And so here is, but here is the dynamic that by the time you're down to it, you tell me that Jesus is the only way. Yes, because he's God. And there is no other God. Okay, I want to get just a couple of scriptures real quick because we're just about out of time. But I just want you to see how critical this truth is. 1 John 4, 2 and 3. 1 John 4, 2 and 3. Eric, John 1, 10 to 12. Mike, Lucas, get me John 3, 16 to 18. And somebody get me John 8, 23 and 24. Dennis. Okay, if you're wrong on this, you're wrong on everything. If you haven't come to grips with the fact that we are worshiping God incarnate, Jesus Christ walked the earth, but he was fully God and never anything less than that. And when we uh, dive into his word, when we accept Jesus as our Lord, we are making covenant with God. It's not something you can uh, treat casually. It astonishes me how many people pray at an altar and accept Jesus and never make a connection with God. This isn't the potter's house. This is, we're talking about God here. Hello? Okay? And to miss this point is to jeopardize your soul. I'm sorry, but Jeff's Jewish friend will have great problem with me because if you're not right on Jesus, you're going to hell. Period. All right? 1 John 4, 2 and 3. Every, every spirit that confesses Jesus Christ is come in the flesh. So what he's dealing with there is the incarnation of God. Jesus Christ come in the flesh. The language is uh, an overarching statement about the incarnation. Okay? And every spirit that confesses not that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh is not of God. Every spirit that confesses it is of God. And every spirit that does not confess it is not of God. This is the spirit of Antichrist. A very bad spirit to have in your collection. Okay, is that it? John 1, 10 to 12. 
Okay. He came into the world that he had created. And the world didn't recognize him. He came to his own. And own would not receive him. The only people he has given the power to become the sons of God are the ones who believe. The ones who believe that he came into the world as God. John 3, 16 to 18. He who believes in him is, is saved, is not condemned. He who does not believe in him is condemned already because he won't believe in the name of the Son of God or he will not acknowledge the deity of Jesus Christ. He is condemned already. And John eight twenty three and 24. If you do not believe that I am He, the one from above, if you do not believe that I am God, you will die in your sins. That's it. It doesn't leave you a lot of room to maneuver. We're out of time. We'll pick it up next week.